Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Justice or righteousness is um, a topic that's quite close to my heart. Uh, Every day I go to work and play a tensy-wensy part in the criminal justice system um, as a Crown Prosecutor. I I actually literally work in the Justice Centre, so um, I thought this might be a good thing to talk about. Um, And every day I'm faced with injustice with people who uh, commit crimes, offend against innocent people, children, um, and I see the full spectrum of uh, depravity, really. Um, This past week I worked on a case involving a neighbour who was harassing some other neighbours in a small rural community. I worked on a meth pea dealer uh, from Petoni, and I even did some work on... um, Russell Tully's case. He murdered, shot two people down in the Wynn's office in Ashburton. But of course that uh, is just one facet of justice. It's uh, the problem of crime and punishment is really just one part of the injustice we see in God's creation. Because injustice is everywhere that we look. I think we all know that the world is not as it's meant to be. And not only do we know the world is sick with injustice, but we have a deep need, I think, a deep need inside ourselves, a desire for that to be set right. I think it's so innate that we see it, and I see it fairly regularly in young children. Uh, I was in the lounge the other day, and Jackson had piled up a whole heap of cushions and was quite pleased with himself. And uh, three-year-old Meyer, this is about three or four months ago, walked in, and he thought that he wanted that bottom cushion of the, on the pile. And I suggested to him that maybe he could use one of the other cushions from, that, that weren't in the pile. And he said, that's not fair! <laughs> and I looked at him and I thought, probably not really what we're, what we're, <laughs> what we're talking about when we think about justice. But he was obviously um, appealing to something higher than himself. He was trying to tell me that there's some standard out there that uh, my suggestion didn't quite meet. Uh, that, or he had just picked it up from Cohen and was still trying to work out uh, (laughs) what it means. So in the beatitude that I'm talking about tonight, uh, I think we see that God, just like little children, cares about justice deeply too. Justice, in fact, the word for justice or righteousness here is apparently appears 1,200 times in Scripture. And there's literally hundreds of texts which deal directly with justice and uh, uh, many hundreds that deal with it more indirectly. And not only is it important just in kind of numerical terms, but we also see in the Beatitude it appearing in Jesus' manifesto, his Sermon on the Mount, where he uh, sets out for us, for his followers, uh, God's uh, God's attempt to redeem creation, the, the redeeming work that, um, that God is doing. So, what's the significance of uh, this appearing in the Beatitudes? And I wanted just to speak a little bit about what I think the significance of the Beatitudes are to us as Christians. Looking at history, uh, you could probably be forgiven for saying, well, they're not really that significant, because the church has... Uh, a fairly long history of not really taking them seriously. And I think on one level this shouldn't surprise us because when we really look at the Beatitudes, they set a very high standard, unattainably high, uh, I sometimes think. 
So Christians have spent, uh, rather than trying to reach that standard, I think Christians have spent a lot of time telling each other why it doesn't really mean what it says it, what uh, it sounds like it says it says. <laughs> so I think there are two difficulties that we face when we come to the Beatitudes. The first is a tendency to spiritualize uh, what's going on there. We look at the statements about God, I mean, they all begin blessed, and we look at them as kind of statements about God blessing us, and we uh, interpret it as times where we will spiritually receive some sort of blessing from God, a gift. But as Jeremy talked about a couple of weeks ago, the idea of being blessed in the Beatitudes actually describes a state of being uh, that is much broader than just our spiritual existence. The Beatitudes speak to our outer world as well. They speak to our conduct, and they call us to action. So a peacemaker, blessed are the peacemakers, is not someone who just enjoys peace, because who doesn't? It's someone who actually strives to create peace. And the Beatitudes, I think, paint a picture of the kingdom of God. They show us what life looks like in God's kingdom and provide us with, uh, with a manual, I think, to, for Christians as to how to live today. Because, of course, immediately after the Beatitudes comes Jesus' sort of famous uh, passage on being salt and light in the world. So he finishes the Beatitudes, and then he goes right on to, therefore be salt, uh, be, li- be light in this world. So when we spiritualize the Beatitudes, I think we miss out on the call to action. The other way that we uh, do a disservice to them is through individualizing them. We hear the Beatitudes as directed solely to me as an individual, uh, rather than to us as a collective. But when you actually look at the Beatitudes, they're all expressed in the plural. Blessed are those, uh, for they will be. Blessed are those who thirst and hunger for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. So Jesus, first and foremost, is describing the qualities of his people, uh, not simply individuals. He's calling us as a group, I think, to be radically different from the world around us. Now, of course, this requires each of us individually to take the message seriously. I'm not saying it doesn't. But if we don't... Well, if we don't personally feel challenged by the nature of what of that call, then obviously we have a problem. But I think Jesus here is telling us what he expects his people as a body to strive towards. And where I think this is important for us is it tells us that living up to this call can also only be done as a group, as, as the body of Christ. I uh, strive to be an ethical consumer. Uh, I want to consume only what I need and I want to consume as well my consumption to do as little harm to other people as possible. Uh, but making ethical choices is, um, <laughs> is kind of easier in, pra- uh, in theory than in practice. It takes lots of energy. You need lots of energy to work out what the ethical uh, choice is in a given situation, how this product affects um, the wider world around you. You need energy to search out, even once you've got that knowledge, to search out the better products, which aren't often as convenient as the ones that are right before you. Uh, and you need energy, I, I find, just to resist the urge to go for convenience or go for, um, for cheapness. I've found, though, that living in a community of people who all are committed to that same ideal, 
broadly being good stewards of God's creation, has uh, kind of compensates for my lack of energy in any given situation. Uh, Justin, for example, got us onto using electricity overnight because being an electrical engineer, he told us that it's cleaner and greener overnight because you're using hydropower. Uh, Man has always been an advocate for free-range products and uh, fair trade bananas, she's passionate about. Sam, living with Sam has meant that we, um, I think as a group, consume much less meat than we otherwise would, and uh, <laughs> fist pump for Sam. And meat uh, is a major contributor to uh, global warming, to our carbon footprint. And even at our last flat hui, I was talking about this Billy yesterday, we were talking about whether we could get uh, fair trade sugar and, and um, cocoa. Now individually, each of those choices is just a small improvement to my life, but, and I think some of them I probably would have made even with my own limited energy. But I think living with others and having that shared commitment to, to ethical consumption has meant that we've made changes and they've also kind of stuck because as one person's energy kind of dips, other people carry, that, carry them through. And I think once you start adding up all the changes, it's actually made a fairly significant difference to my life. So, I, so that, I think, is why uh, we do ourselves a disservice when we read the Beatitudes as simply directed to our individual, um, our individual performance. All right, so that brings me to the Beatitude that I'm talking about itself. And what is it all about? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. The first thing that stood out uh, to me is that Jesus is not talking about people who like justice or people who want justice, um, not even talking about people who work in the justice centre and uh, seek justice, but he's talking about people who thirst and hunger for justice. Blessed are those for whom justice is like one of their most basic bodily desires. That vividly, when you think about how powerful thirst and hunger are, conveys, I think, the centrality of justice uh, to God's kingdom. I remember as a child being stuck in the audience of uh, uh, some sort of play or production and being really thirsty. Uh, and it was hot, kind of stuffy like this room is at the moment. And very quickly... I got thirstier and thirstier and hotter and hotter and my thoughts completely turned away from whatever was going on the stage. I couldn't tell you what it was. Uh, and all I could think about was getting out of there and finding something to drink. And the thirstier I got, the more that just took up uh, every ounce of focus that I had. I started, you know, you, you sort of notice things about yourself. Your lips start getting dry, your mouth's um, tacky, you uh, start getting a headache. And really quenching my thirst became the very top priority. Not just the top priority, my sole priority at that point. I think it's a bit like being a drug addict, right? Satisfying that physical addiction becomes your sole goal each day. Now, I don't think Jesus is asking us to get hooked on pee. Um, but I think he wants us to become justice junkies. Justice is also, uh, to me, a personal quality of God. It's at the heart of who God is. And so it should be for us, I think, at the heart of what following God means. Uh, Amos goes as far, 
to say that without the pursuit of justice, all other means of worshipping God are not only futile but offensive to him. He's pretty hardcore. I hate, I despise your festivals, and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the offerings of well-being of your fatted animals I will not look upon. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. So what is justice? What is righteousness? Uh, for literally thousands of years, people have devoted a lot of time to... Uh, probably forests of paper, I think, to exploring what justice is and how you define it. Uh, every great philosopher has written something about it, uh, and I don't want to go anywhere near that. Uh, first and foremost, because I'm not qualified. Uh, second, I'd probably put you all to sleep, especially people who are jet-lagged, uh, if I'm not already. Uh, but third, and I think most importantly, it doesn't really matter, because justice in the Christian worldview is not really a question of philosophical speculation or reasoning, because it's a characteristic of God himself. So we learn about justice through the biblical narrative. We learn about justice through looking at Christ. Justice is a personal quality of God. Uh, it's not a, a set of rules or principles that we then apply to situations. We look at God we look at Christ and examine his actions, his relationships, uh, and his priorities. So thirsting or hungering for justice means to me striving after what is right, longing to see God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's yearning to see shalom uh, in all areas of life. Shalom, a condition of total well-being and wholeness and harmony. It's the restoration of all the shattered pieces of creation. And that restoration, I think, is best pictured by flourishing. So just society, to me, is one where every one uh, and every part of creation is flourishing. And at the centre of flourishing, I think, are relationships. Right relationships. Because justice requires healthy, constant, life-giving relationships uh, both between people and between people and the rest of creation. And because justice is not uh, a static ideal, it, relationships, I guess, are always fluid. They always require give and take. So justice isn't about uh, letting something, getting something to a particular state and then freezing it there so that everything is, is good from then on. Justice always calls for positive action on our part. That's why I think in the passage I put up before Amos, uh, his metaphor for justice is a thundering river. It's not the Western uh, picture of justice, which is a finely balanced scales and kind of equipose. So justice in the biblical worldview uh, always requires positive action on our part. So what kind of positive action? How do we respond? I thought I would uh, finish with some, some really practical thoughts uh, because I don't want to get uh, caught up in kind of too much big picture thinking. But what I'm going to give you is really just what came to the top of my mind. 
so it's not the most important thing. Uh, it was really just what is what what kind of is touching me at the moment about how I could uh, and we could start to make this world more just. Uh, Manna, my wife, is very good at saving leftover food. So there's always little bits of food and containers in the fridge. Uh, and I think this probably comes from her mum, whose fridge is literally packed with tiny plastic containers full of a couple of taste tablespoons of food here and there. I'm sort of towards the other end of the spectrum, uh, and having dealt with the... In fact, I'm, I'm heading further towards the, the throw-out end of the spectrum, having dealt with kids vomiting for days on end. Uh, so I err on the side of binning questionable items. And while that sort of satisfies my, uh, my anxiety about vomiting children, uh, it also gives me these, this kind of twang of guilt. And I did the, the bad thing of sort of looking into the issue, um, which has only amplified that guilt. In New Zealand, every household on average wastes 80 kilograms of edible food each year. As a nation, apparently, we waste $2 billion worth of food. Uh, millennials, my generation, uh, are the main culprits. Uh, millennials waste twice as much food as your average baby boomer. <laughs> and I think when you stop and, and think about it, uh, food wastage is a justice issue. One in nine people in the world lives in hunger. Uh, millions of children die every year from, mal from malnutrition. Yet somehow humanity wastes one-third of all the food produced in the world. Food waste is actually a glaring symptom of social injustice. That's the unequal, unjust distribution of the world's resources. But it's also a massive environmental issue. Uh, because when we waste food, uh, especially when it ends up in landfills, all the precious resources that have gone into that food uh, are also wasted. A quarter of all the fresh water used uh, for food production every year is wasted. It goes into food that's ultimately binned. Which, which sort of staggered me, really. But when you look at how much water goes into producing each item of food, you realize how you get there. So apparently one kilogram of beef consumes 15,500 litres of water. That's all the water that goes into the grain, that goes into the cow, uh, that goes into the grass. So for every sausage that you throw away out of your six-pack, uh, because you cooked it and didn't get around to eating it, that's something like two or 3,000 litres of water that, uh, that have binned. It's actually quite depressing when you look at how much water goes into food, uh, depending on your lifestyle. Uh, chocolate is the worst offender. 24,000 litres of water per kilogram of chocolate. Uh, on the slightly better side, a bottle of beer only takes 100 litres of water. Uh, <laughs> and uh, potatoes, interestingly, use uh, less than a tenth of the water to that is required to produce rice. So go the Irish. Now, the food that's thrown out also contributes to global warming because when it rots particularly, it... Uh, it Rots in landfills without oxygen, it, produce lots of, it produces lots of methane. Methane is about uh, 25 times more powerful uh, in global warming terms than carbon dioxide. If you added up all the greenhouse emissions from food, just from food wastage, it would be the third, and, you, and it was a country, it would be the third ranked country in the world behind the US and China in terms of contribute, 
contributions to glo uh, global warming. So like I said, whenever I think about wasting food, uh, I start feeling guilty. Christians alone uh, waste enough food to feed every hungry person in the world. So what am I going to do about it? Uh, three things that I have occurred to me that I'm going to ask other people to try and hold me accountable for. Uh, using the freezer, apparently. Turns out you can freeze almost anything. So if food's getting close to its use-by date, I will freeze it. Uh, I have a little tub of tomato paste, which, you know, I, for some reason, whenever I use tomato paste, there's always about a tablespoon left over that I don't know what to do with. So I've started a tub in the freezer where I put that tablespoon of tomato paste. Uh, leftovers, unless I'm going to eat the leftovers the next day, then we will uh, freeze them. I've also uh, discovered that the way you store food can apparently uh, affect how quickly it goes off. I, I knew that if you put bananas with fruit, your fruit goes, gets ripe too quickly, so I don't do that. But I discovered that putting potatoes and onions together makes them both go off quicker, because uh, they both release moisture and gas that makes the other one go off. Uh, so I have moved my onions out of my potato bin. Another idea which uh, would be would be interesting, I, haven't, I have to admit I haven't done this yet, but is to have a meal each week where you just plan to use up bits and pieces of perishable things that are in the fridge uh, or in the pantry. Bubble and squeak. Bubble and squeak, there you go. Baby boomer. From the baby boomer's lips, <laughs> we have a lot to learn. Now, that, that's just what sort of is, was at the top of my mind when I came to think about uh, justice, and no doubt there'll be other issues that will capture you, and uh, we'll have some uh, time after this to think about those. Uh, what's important, I think, though, is that we make time in our lives to uh, be touched by God's yearning for justice, uh, to reflect on the injustices around us and think about ways that we can chip away at those. And even more importantly than doing that, Individually, I think it's important that we have time to share those things with each other because what stands out to me is going to be different to what stands out to you but when you tell me about it, it may stand out to me too. And when we share those, uh, those ideas, when we create a culture where we are serious as a group about um, limiting our contribution to injustice or even better, promoting justice, uh, I think then as a community we become involved in God's redeeming work. So, to finish, uh, what I would suggest we all do is uh, spend a few minutes reflecting on where we individually hunger and thirst for justice. There's, if you like body prayer, uh, I know some people do, uh, you could try putting a, a hand on your stomach and a hand on your throat to represent uh, thirst and hunger. After this, I suggest we all uh, reflect on one small change we could try for the next week, not a big commitment, uh, that would involve us working towards justice. And there's a, a glass here with grains of salt. Uh, when you think of something... Um, come up and grab a piece of, uh, just a grain of salt and hold it in your hand and maybe take it away with you to uh, represent that commitment to, to an experiment for the next week.